Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Coming up in the second half of today's show, we're talking the magic of circle work. It's a practice created by Dr. Bonheim that she teaches women around the world to heal and empower themselves. And I have to tell you, she works in some pretty torn up countries to help communities with opposing viewpoints come together, as well as mentoring leaders to bring unity and peace to divided groups. But first, while many of us plan Emergency supply kits for events such as earthquakes and tornadoes. Few of us know how to cope emotionally when life is suddenly turned upside down, when our lives are ripped apart, normal has gone, nothing's the same as it was, and we are left spinning. So when that happens, where do we turn to pick up the pieces? How do we begin to reclaim some sense of normality? Well, it's a question that I think many are asking in today's troubled times, and my first guest offers a psychological roadmap through cycles of shock and trauma to discover meaning, renewal, and hope. And my guest is Dr. Lori Nadel. Her book, her book is called The Five Gifts, and uh, she has a really interesting background. She is a uh, journalist and a psychologist who specializes in acute stress. As a journalist, she reported for Newsweek and United Press International in South America, She wrote TV news for CBS, ABC News and Reuters. And she's been interviewed by numerous media outlets, including the New York Times, National Public Radio and Reuters. Her four-time best-selling book, Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power, was featured on Oprah, not once, but twice. And uh, Dr. Nadel is also a member of the critical incident response team that debriefed paramedics responding to the Parkland mass shooting not so long ago. She also helped create the Committee to Protect Journalists, an organization that's fought for the rights of journalists around the world since 1981. And today we are talking about her seventh and latest book, The Five Gifts, Discovering Healing, Hope and Strength When Disaster Strikes. Dr. Laurie Nadel, welcome. Thank you so much, Vicki. Thank you for having me on your show. It is a pleasure and um, great work and I think very timely um, and uh, unfortunately very necessary with everything that's happening not just here in america but around the world right now um, i would agree with that yes and you know they say the most equipped people to help others through critical incidents that we're facing almost it seems on a daily basis lately are those who've experienced one themselves and you write in your book uh for the past 25 years i've made the same new year's resolutions throw out half of what uh you own and spend more time with friends. And then in 2012, that 25-year resolution had a whole different meaning for for you. So tell us your crisis. What happened? Uh, well, um, it was actually a, a catas- it was a legitimate catastrophe, um, not a random event or an act of nature or an act of God. It's Hurricane Sandy, I uh, lived on a barrier island off the coast of Long Island. And Hurricane Sandy destroyed about a thousand miles of coastline from southern New Jersey up through Connecticut. 
and uh, my my home was flooded with three and a half feet of uh, water from the intracoastal and other canals. Uh, I lived in the neighborhood that, that was, that's called the canals, and uh, so the canals overflowed into everybody's home. So we had these little one-story beach cottages, and uh, when the tide went out, it took the water out, but because the storm had uh, destroyed the town sewer pump, everything was contaminated with raw sewage, and uh, everybody's home was toxic. And so um, I I grabbed whatever wasn't uh, contaminated and threw it into, uh, you know, contractor's bags. And and then I became a FEMA refugee for about a month because there was no electricity on the island. So uh, I, uh, I was carrying literally everything I knew in, like, 12 plastic bags. And when I unpacked them, I found that I had, you know, like about a dozen pairs of socks and no underwear. And I thought, how did you do that? And I realized, <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't that I did it. It's that everything below the sock drawer was flooded. Right, right. And I guess, you know, uh, you were a journalist for 20 years and over the course of uh, a period of time took your PhD, became a, psych- a psychologist. And... Um, so you had done work with others before this event happened to you, but I'm guessing on a stress basis, an acute stress basis, you worked with some of the teenagers whose fathers died in 9-11, for example. Um, but I'm guessing this took your understanding and, um, and your ability to help others to a whole new level. Yeah, I would say that's, uh, that, that's extremely uh, right on the money. That's a very, very accurate statement. Uh, you know, when I came back, uh, I had to, to cope with uh, insurance and construction and, you know, gover- government regulations that were changing all the time. And as I, as I walked around town, as, of course, I, I, my car was destroyed in the flood also, uh, I, I saw the, the despair and rage and fear on everyone's face. And I realized that uh, although I couldn't, I couldn't volunteer to help, you know, strip out sheetrock and, you know, put up uh, walls that I could do the heavy emotional lifting because I'd had, uh, you know, some 25 years of experience uh, working in the field of trauma and acute stress and PTSD. Right. So right. I, um, I offered the, the city of Long Beach to start a long-term support program for people uh, who had lost their homes and, and who were dealing with uh the, we, we call it the symptoms of acute stress, right? Uh, which which can be very debilitating. And people don't understand that after exposure to any kind of disaster, could be a fire, could be a car accident, could even be a catastrophic diagnosis, your body is flooded uh, with, with stress hormones to such a degree that it affects your sleep, your appetite, your ability to make decisions. You may have uh, stomach pain. Uh, you may find that... Uh, you're, you're either weepy or you're numb or you're shut down or you're just in a state, and we call it the deer in the headlights, a kind of frozen kind of state of shock. So uh, this, this part of uh, what, I, what I was able to help people adjust into at right. that time. Right. And this is how you came up with this book, because you learned five gifts, discovered them as you're going through this process yourself that, that uh, helped you there. Humility, patience empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And I want to go into those in a little bit, but I just want to uh, go a little bit deeper into this because 
we, you know, I lived on the, uh, or right by the San Andreas earthquake fault. So, you know, mm-hmm. the first thing you're told when you come to live in an area like that, you have to have your emergency kit. But we're talking right. the psychological impacts here. And your book, how would you describe it to someone? The, the book or the, go, or the your, psychological your, kit? Your book. Oh, I, I think my, my book offers a roadmap to recovery from uh, these life-shattering events. And um, very simply, and it offers the, it, it tells you how to prep emotionally. It tells you how to take care of yourself during and immediately after uh, a catastrophic event or what first responders call a critical incident. But more important, it really traces out the cycles of healing over a long period of time because the help cycle only lasts two or three months. And then, you know, it's not on the screen and the Red Cross leaves and your friends start saying, What's wrong with you? Why aren't you over it yet? But the cycle of recovery, the healing cycle, takes three to five years. Yeah. And so nobody has really addressed you know, kind of like the, the, the cycles, uh, what happens as you approach the first anniversary, what happens um, you know, when, you, when you really begin to grieve in the second year, and how these five gifts can help us get through the long haul. Right. What was the worst psychological aspect for you, Laurie? No, I, I, I've been going around, you know, as I go around um, talking to people about uh, tragic events they've had in their own lives, and I see uh, that there is a, a real hunger and need for information. I talk about how there are three cycles of loss that really never get addressed. So there's a loss of control if you lose control of your physical environment and, um, you know, if it's a natural catastrophe and you own property, you also lose control of your finances uh, because it's just like a horrific mess that you have to deal with for years after uh, a hurricane like Harvey or Sandy or an earthquake, for example. Then you have the loss of, uh, loss of safety. So you start feeling, you, you, you don't start, you, you continue feeling fragile and vulnerable, and you develop hypervigilance. You're always kind of looking around the corner to try to protect yourself from some other unexpected event that could happen. And finally, there's a loss of identity, and you start to ask, you know, who am I? You know, who am I if I'm um, not a member of this community? Or who am I, um, if, I can, if I can no longer work? Or who am I if I no longer own my home? And so for me, the, the biggest loss, was the loss of control, because um, I bought a house with the understanding, as, as most homeowners, I think all homeowners, we, we, we buy the house because the dream is, if you want to paint it purple, you'll paint it purple. <laughs> if you want to plant vegetables, you'll plant vegetables. You know, um, you'll take care of your house, you know, according to the seasons, and, you know, it's time for a new roof, you know, hopefully you'll be able to take care of it. And when a, when a natural catastrophe happens, you lose all control. The government tells you what to do. The bank seizes your insurance settlement check. The insurance company probably gives you a fraction of what you're entitled to, and then you have to fight or you have to file a suit. There are contractors and vendors and um, you know people who come in from other parts of the country, and they're vultures, and they, they want to offer you these packages to clean up your home, and then they extort you for three times as much money, and they threaten to put a lien on your house. So it's really traumatizing if uh, one of the assumptions that you've had or that you had in owning a home was that this is yours and you control it, you lose all control, mm-hmm. and it's terrifying. 
And this is something we don't hear. We we no. hear what's happening the day of, and as you said, then the cameras move out and the support moves out and everybody else is left to deal with this horrible mess. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to uh, go a little into the, the five gifts that you talk about in the book. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Dr. Laurie Nadel. Her new book is called The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing and Strength When Disaster Strikes. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws foster care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. Coming up June 4th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. As an award-winning educator, Brendan Kiley wanted to make a difference. He always looked for books to inspire his students, to help them think critically about who they are, what they believe, and how they show up in the world. Now he writes those books as an award-winning New York Times bestselling author. Tune in Mondays at noon Pacific time for the live show or 6 a.m. on Friday and catch up on past shows at conversationslive.net and chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to help you heal and stay healthy. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest today is Dr. Laurie Nadel. She is a uh, longtime journalist and psychologist. Uh, The foreword of her book was written by Dan Rather. And he says when it comes to teaching how to not just survive life's hardest blows, but to eventually thrive, nothing beats a teacher who's learned through personal experience. And Dr. Laurie Nadel just shared her personal experience with uh, Hurricane Sandy with us. And uh, the book is called The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. So I want to dive into the five gifts a little, if we can, Laurie. You say that sure. um, going through all the experience uh, and the, you know, the psychological um, wearing down and the loss of control, it, it, it taught you um, or it helped you discover these five gifts. So tell us how they came about. Well, this was one of the uh, more horrific uh, uh, periods. You know, I, I talk about these three losses, you know, loss of control, safety, and identity. I call them the three elephants in the room. You know, they, they really never get discussed, you know, in, in the conversation about uh, the after effect of a catastrophic event. No, and, because you know what people say? I, I just, sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. people always say, and it's true to a certain extent, well, at least you survived. 
right? You, these are, it's just possessions that you lost, but there's, they don't take into account that terrible mental and psychological toll. Well, it's one thing to, to lose possessions. It's another thing to think about all of the years of work that it took to, um, to build up whatever those possessions were. I mean, I personally wasn't upset to see, um, you know, even a kitchen, which had been renovated two years earlier. I wasn't really concerned. But I did have a library in the house, and I was saving a lot of books from my childhood for my daughter's children, you know, down the road, and all of those got destroyed. So, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it's not about the possessions per se. Um, there is humility. I mean, humility is, is really the gift that helps us to say, okay, my possessions are gone, but my family is safe, and um, I, I have survived, and, and it's going to get better. So that, that is the gift of humility. But it doesn't mean that you escape grieving for the loss of whatever, whatever your home represented to you. And it represents safety to us. Right. So that's the thing. It represents our sense of safety and territory and security. So it's, it's really not about the stuff. Right. It's about the sense of safety that gets lost. Right. And so patience. Uh, gosh, I'm, you must have to have an unlimited amount of patience to get through this without going crazy. Well, I, I would say I'm like the worst person in the world to write about patience. I'm like Taylor <laughs> Swift writing. Me writing about patience is like Taylor Swift writing a song about relationships that end happily ever after. I mean, I am. I, I had to call. I had to come face to face with my own impatience in writing that chapter because uh, it's very hard when two to three years later you're still suffering or something happens and you and you burst into tears. This happens with grief as well. It's called a or sudden temporary upsurge of grief where you're, you're going along in normal and suddenly you just burst into tears. And we have to learn to be patient with ourselves because healing is not a straight line. And um, these, these, these outbursts, if you will, or the, these cleansings, if you want, um, they can happen suddenly and they can be overwhelming. And patience is what helps us to accept that, you know, the heart heals in its own time. Right, right. The third gift you talk about is empathy and you say because it's a feel-good gift empathy builds its own momentum and that's what we want to naturally have more of that right um you know when i when i first started writing about them i called them the five unbearable gifts which was a title that buddhist monks loved and publishers hated <laughs> because publishers said if they're unbearable no one will want them i said that's the point nobody wants them until we need them and um, empathy is the gift that keeps us connected to others so that we don't feel isolated and alone. And, um, and it is the gift that, that we, we, you get, you get a, a bump, you get, you get a, a, a jolt of energy that feels wonderful. You get in, you know, an endorphin rush from connecting and caring for and helping somebody out. Uh, and it's, it's, it's probably the gift that is easiest to feel and appreciate. You know, humility and patience are more subtle. Right, right. Um, you talk about forgiveness. Uh, that's gift four. And you say forgiveness is the elephant in the room. And, right. um, I mean, it, forgiveness is going to be approached in so many right. different ways, depending on the situation, I think, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I you know, of all of the, the gifts, I've, I've tried to uh, kind of, transpose them into verbs 
so that you can experience, you know, what it's like to be in a humbling state or to be, to become, you know, patient or to feel patient. And with forgiveness, I think that when we change it from forgiveness to forgiving, it's no longer like a, a light switch. We think of forgiveness as I forgive or I don't forgive, mm-hmm. when in fact, if we are in a forgiving state, we can be forgiving 5% today and 30% tomorrow and maybe 80% you know, down the road, and then it can go back to 3%. So it's a dynamic uh, internal process. And after a, a random event, uh, which we were powerless to prevent, very often the most important step here is using the gift of forgiveness to forgive ourselves because we weren't able to prevent it. Right, right. You write, um, forgiveness is the way we mend tears in the social fabric. It's the way we stop our human community from unraveling. Yes, and I I think that when we look at uh, the forgiveness movement in uh, Africa, for example, I think that was a a reference to uh, uh, Bishop Tutu, I think, or Nelson Mandela in South Africa, where reconciliation and forgiveness was so important um, after the apartheid regime ended. Uh, we also see it in uh, Rwanda, where uh, there, there, there's been a huge, uh, you know, movement of reconciliation over the last 20 years for the uh, the uh, the two warring factions to forgive each other, to be able to accept uh, the the people who were part of the who participated in the massacre, to reintegrate them into the community. Right. So we, we have we have beautiful models for forgiveness. Um, in both of those countries in Africa. Right, right. And you talked with so many people to put this book together. This is not just your experience. I, I want to stress that to people listening. But it, it, you talked with so many people about these gifts and about their experiences and how they uh, put things together after whatever event they faced. Um, number five gift is growth. What do you have to say about growth? Well, I, I do say that, you know, as, as, as bioorganisms, as long as we're arri- alive, we are always growing. Our cells are, are reproducing right now. Trillions of cells are dying off, and healthy new cells are, are growing and replacing them. And um, so we, we don't really need to consciously kind of focus on how we're going to grow because we, we have a healing intelligence within us that knows how to grow. But I think that when we talk about the gift of growth, uh, I'm referring to that state where you can look back at that, that event and the wound that you suffered, and you can say, no, I would never uh, want to go through that again. I would never wish it on anyone else. But, hey, if I hadn't gone through it, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. At the back of the book, you have a list of um, homeopathic remedies for acute stress, safe, natural, and effective. You have uh, resources for people to uh, reach out to. At the end of each chapter, you, you have a five-minute list that we can do to for each of the gifts to help people through that. Um, I told you I'm impatient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I can tell you, when you're going through something, when you're going through, you know, uh, you know like, like five to seven crises or your life is in upheaval, if you can find a five-minute window... To just give yourself, you know, little, like I call them vitamins for the soul, uh, the rest of your day will go much more smoothly. Right. And we should say there's science behind those five gifts. So yes. I, I want to just ask you, because I, I know you work with 
uh, with first responders, when we're running away, they're running two scenes. What What's one takeaway from working with them that you could leave us with today? Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm always impressed with the first responders is, is that uh, they, you know, that they're motivated by a tremendous desire to, to rescue and to help people. And when they're not able to help someone, especially a child, um, they're normal, they're, they're human. Um, and and you know, what I've learned is that it, it's normal and it's human to be disturbed when something horrifying happens. It means that you're a normal person mm-hmm. having normal reactions to an abnormal situation. And, and that's the big takeaway that even, even professionals go through these, uh, these, these acute stress symptoms and these cycles of loss and shock and recovery. Right. And you say that despite some people's points of view who say, you know, don't talk about it, it keeps it alive, you say it's not negative to, to talk about these situations. I think it's necessary, and, and this is something else that we learned with the uh, critical incident uh, movement with first responders, it's actually very helpful and in, in uh, working with uh, the, uh, the community at Parkland, especially the teachers and people who were uh, on staff at the time, um, they, they've been reporting back that being able to talk about what happened that day has been a big release for them. Right, right. And so what do you, um, what do you want to leave listeners with that we haven't discussed? We have such a short amount of time and the book is packed so full of information. What, what do you really want listeners to know that we haven't talked about, Laurie? Well, I, I think I want listeners to know that, you know, since, since uh, disasters of all kinds, these unexpected events are increasing, it's easy to get scared. It's important to know that I, I think of it as a cycle. We're in a very turbulent cycle right now. And like all cycles in nature, it's going to come to an end. We just don't know when. So in the meantime, you know, kind of fasten your seatbelt and be prepared emotionally for, um, you know, to, it's like the Native Americans say, expect the unexpected and uh, get mentally ready to stay steady and uh, you'll weather it uh, more easily. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate uh, you Thank spending you. time with us today. And let's give out the best website for people to reach you. I have uh, laurienadel.com. Is that correct? That's it. Oh, so yes, that's laurienadel.com. Laurienadel.com. I said your name wrong. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Laurie Nadel. Dr. Laurie Nadel, psychologist and journalist. Uh, this book is packed full of really great information. Okay, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk about the magic of circle work. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Let's see if I... I guess that... <sighs> this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need. Whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, 
or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Making a difference, one word at a time. Get inspired. Every hour, right here on Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. We are talking now with Dr. Jalaja Barnheim. She uh, is an international speaker, award-winning author, and an expert in the use of circle gatherings as a tool for healing and empowering women. Men, too, not just women, but um, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, She's the founder of the Institute for Circle Work and has trained hundreds of circle work leaders around the world, including the Middle East, where her circles unite Jewish and Palestinian women. Her new book, The Magic of Circle Work, the practice women from around the world are using to heal and empower themselves. Dr. Jalaja Bonheim, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, So let's get this straight. It's not just for women. It's for men. But you do a lot of work with women, correct? That's right. I, I really see it as a tool for everyone, but I do have a personal passion for empowering women. I think that um, if we have more empowered women, our world will be a better place. Yes. So that's my personal passion, but many of the women that I have trained work with men as well. Right, right. So how did you first get interested in circle work? Well, I started circle work when I came to the United States. I'm originally from Europe, and then I studied uh, classical Indian temple dance, actually, in India for many years. And I came to the United States and wanted to create a kind of space where we could connect in ways that I just wasn't finding in daily life. You know, I was envisioning a space that felt sacred, 
um, but that also honored the body where there was movement and dance and where women would speak very authentically and very openly. And, you know, when you can't find what you're longing for, you, you have to create it. So I started leading circles, and right from the start, that form of the circle felt so powerful and so right. And so over the years, my, my love affair with the circle has only grown deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. And so for those who are not at all familiar with circle work, um, you're talking literally of people coming together in a group and standing in a circle. And you t- just touched on the significance of the circle, but um, many of the ancient, uh, I'm thinking Stonehenge, uh, you know, many of the gathering places uh, from years back were always formed in a circle. So what's the significance of coming into a circle? Well, that's right. It's really a completely universal form. So when you, whether you look at ancient Europe or the Native American traditions or Africa, no matter where you look, you see that the circle was the universal form that people gathered in when they wanted to create community. So it's not a form that is belongs to any one tradition, but it is a form that can connect people from around the world. And also around the world, it's not only used to create community, but it's also used as a spiritual symbol. So everywhere you look, you see this recognition that the circle symbolizes oneness, it symbolizes sacredness, it symbolizes wholeness. Right. You talk about, uh, you, in the introduction to the book, how you used to be extremely shy and, and it was painful for you to uh, connect with others because you didn't trust them until you found circle work and it started changing things for you. Yeah, and you know, I, I think it, it, it's something that I see in so many of the people that I work with that deep down there is a fear of our own species which is really sad when you come to think of it. But a lot of people, especially when they come into a group, are scared. They are worried that they're going to be judged or they're going to be rejected or even cast out. So these fears run really deep. And at the same time, there's this incredible longing that we have to connect. You know, it's such a basic human need, especially when we are feeling under stress or um, there's some kind of collective emergency happening, the natural impulse is to draw closer. Right, right. And so it's so crucial that we learn what many of our ancestors knew, which is how do you create a space where people can really feel safe, where everyone has a voice, uh, where people feel heard and seen. And so let's look at some of the people who might use this. In in the book, you talk about um, people who, uh, like one of them is a minister who does all of her small group work in circles. Um, There are uh, people who work in the corporate world. They work with business leaders and women presidents in circle work. Um, Another person is a physician. They've been leading a circle for cancer patients and say it's the most amazing, humbling, and awe-inspiring experience. So it, all walks of life, uh, it seems to be working well with them. 
Yeah, and I think it's something that's coming up very strongly at this specific time in our history, that, you know, we're recognizing that we have a need to connect in new ways. And so everywhere you look, circles are springing up. Um, and my, my commitment, my passion is to really help these leaders use the circle in the most effective way. Because a lot of people start working with circles and they get no training. You know, they really do not know. It's like having this power tool and having lost the, the instructions. So we need to learn once again how to use this tool in a way that benefits us. Right. Would you talk to us a little about working with the mandala? You, you say this has great power. Yes, the mandala. Well, I mentioned before that the circle is a symbol of wholeness and oneness. And um, really, it's more, though, than just a symbol. When you look around the world, it's almost seen as a kind of medicine, that as we connect with this form, this geometric form, we begin to experience a greater sense of wholeness and integration within ourselves. So a lot of uh, people who gather in circles don't really pay much attention to the geometric form. But in circle work, the practice I teach, we do. We pay a lot of attention to the form that we are working with because in doing so, we create a space that feels deeply sacred and that really supports our healing. And so I think that the integration of these two lineages, there's the one lineage of people throughout the ages who've worked with mandalas, like the Tibetans who painted them, and you mentioned Stonehenge, and there are many, many others, and this habit or tradition of gathering in circles. So in circle work, they really come together in one. Right. And we're, our, we're really, I often tell people we're here to embody the mandala. So we're not just painting it or drawing it, we are experiencing it within our own body. Right, right. Um, you mentioned earlier that women's empowerment is crucial to the healing of our communities and our planet, and I 100% agree with you. Why do you think it's so crucial? there needs to be balance and we're coming out of a very patriarchal period and so things have gotten very imbalanced and when you look at the specific strengths of women versus the strengths of men i it seems to me that women have a very natural intuitive understanding that relationship is key to healthy community and that conflicts need to be resolved with communication and not with violence. And so, especially, for example, when I work with the women in the Middle East, many of them are mothers, and they want a better life for their children. And so there is just a very natural sense of solidarity with women around the world who do not want to live in a war zone and who really understand that there is another way. Right, right. There's a, um, you, you have a chapter called The Seven Needs, and um, you mentioned earlier that you work with Jewish and Palestinian women, um, you know, difficult work, I would think. 
Um, what kind of results are you getting when you work with people bringing them together? Well, there are some there are results on many different levels. On the very practical level, there are these relationships and friendships that get established that ripple out through the lives of these women. Um, and one example I give in the book is that shortly after a circle I, I led, a war broke out between Lebanon and Israel, and things were very tense. And the women who had been in the circle were calling each other and saying, don't take that road, there's a roadblock there, or go this way, it's safer. And they didn't care whether the woman they were speaking to was Jewish or Arab. They, they experienced her as a sister, hmm. and they related to her as such. So there are these kinds of very tangible um, ripple effects that come out from the circle but I also think at a deeper level, there's a, a sense of hope. You know, there's a sense of there is another way. There are solutions. Peace really is possible. And many of these women have never had the opportunity to really connect with the other side in meaningful ways. And so for them to come together and to to actually fall in love with each other, because that really is what happens. Um, it, it totally changes their outlook, and it allows them to see that there really is another way. And this other way is not just an, you know, an idealistic vision. It is practical. It is doable. Right, right. Well, we're talking about the magic of circle work today. My guest is Dr. Jalajar Barnheim. And uh, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go into some of the other things that circle work helps with, such as rejection and loneliness. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Please stay with us. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Mary Moss and Life Vantage Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 27th, it's an Encore Vet Sunday with Dr. Bill Burlingame. Dr. Bill is the expert on animal and human immune system support as well as Plechner syndrome. He's a perfect balance between natural and traditional medicine and a wealth of knowledge. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in, providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. 
Coming up June 4th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. As an award-winning educator, Brendan Kiley wanted to make a difference. He always looked for books to inspire his students, to help them think critically about who they are, what they believe, and how they show up in the world. Now he writes those books as an award-winning New York Times bestselling author. Tune in Mondays at noon Pacific time for the live show or 6 a.m. on Friday and catch up on past shows at conversationslive.net and chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to help you live well, live strong. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest in this segment is Dr. Jalaja Bonheim. I just love that name, Jalaja. <laughs> I love oh, that thank name. Thank you. Um, and we should let listeners know, since we're in Seattle, you were actually born in Seattle, even though you then moved off and grew up in Europe. That's right. So you have it's an affiliation with it. Yes. Um, and Jalaja's new book is called The Magic of Circle Work, the practice women from around the world are using to heal and empower themselves. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, well, the seven needs, if I can just gloss over those quickly, and then I want to go into uh, how other ways this can help. Um, One of the primary ones is the need to bridge our differences and get that connection um, and intimacy and um, the need for community, the need to shift from head to heart thinking, the need for stress relief, spiritual nourishment, and to transform patriarchy. So that's what the circle work is, is all about here. Um, I read in an article that you'd written um, about loneliness and how, I mean, it's quite staggering the numbers that, that say they're lonely, the number of people that say they're lonely. Uh, it doubled from 20 to 40 percent um, since the 80s alone. And um, that's about, what, about 144 million in America say they are lonely. Mm-hmm. Given all of our tools which are supposed to connect us, we have 144 million saying they're lonely. How can circle work help with that? Well, you know, being lonely, it has several different elements. Some people really do not have enough social interaction, interaction enough friends. But for a lot of people it has more to do with the quality of their connections, that they're not finding the kind of intimacy and depth that they are really craving. And that is certainly true of many of the women that I work in with in my circles. They might have friends and they have family, but there is a quality of honesty and in, you know, intimacy, authenticity that they are craving. And so that is what they come to the circle for. Because in circle work, the structure of the work ensures that there is a slowing down, that people really listen to each other and to themselves in a very deep way. And so for a lot of these women, you know, they will say, you know, in the circle, I experience relationships at a level of intimacy that I don't even have with my best friend or in my family. And then, of course, you have to consider that more and more people are living alone, uh, more than ever before. The family structures aren't as solid as they used to be. So very clearly, we need ways of building community and coming together that are different 
than what even our grandparents or great-grandparents needed. Mm-hmm. And what about rejection? You, you have a whole chapter dedicated to healing the wounds of rejection. You say that few experiences cause such heartbreak as rejection. Yes, and this is especially true when you're talking about rejection by a group, which is what many people experience in school or in other situations. Those kinds of rejections cut very, very deep. And personally, I believe that we bear the trauma not only of the personal rejections we ourselves experienced, but that there are also collective levels of rejection. You think, you know, in recent times of what the Jewish people experienced. Um, but I also think of the, the witch-burning times, which have been called a women's holocaust. And these kinds of very traumatic experiences really get etched into our psyche. Right. So I see a lot of women who come to the circle yearning for connection, but also terrified that if they really show up authentically, if they really speak their truth, they're going to be judged or ridiculed or put down or cast out. So it's important for us to understand that these fears are really not just personal individual fears, but that they have to do with collective wounds that we carry together, and that in the circle we can also heal together. So in these circles, there is such a field of compassion and kindness and love that on the one hand, the wounds come up, but on the other hand, there's a space where they really can be held and healed. Right. For somebody who is listening and thinking, hey, this is just what I need and would like to maybe start their own group, what advice do you give them? Other than, I mean, obviously your book is full of great information. Yes, and there's also a companion book, which is called the Circle Work Training Manual, um, which I originally created for my students, but it really is a tremendous resource for anyone who wants to work with groups. It's just full of exercises and tools and practices and troubleshooting. Um, But beyond that, I would say go to lots of circles, experience as many different kinds of circles as you can. So you get a sense of what you like, what works, what doesn't work. Um, I recommend that people start in the easiest possible way. So you might just want to invite a few women friends and start a circle in your living room and see how that goes. Um, I, Of course, I always invite women to come to the circle work training, which, which I lead uh, primarily here on the East Coast. I've also led it in the Middle East and sometimes other places. Um, it's really an amazing community of women from all around the world who are leading circles in their own communities. Right. So it's a beautiful way for women to support each other in learning about circle work. Right, right. And you say part of the appeal is that, that this involves more than just talking. Participants, uh, when they do talk, do so in a structured way to ensure that deep listening and support, uh, honest, authentic sharing. 
But circle work also includes a wide range of nonverbal tools such as music and movement and touch, meditation, immersion in nature. So there are many ways people can put this together. Yeah, you know, I, I always say in this culture, I call us thought addicts, which is, you know, we're addicted to constant thinking and therefore constant talking. And so in the circle, we really interrupt this addiction so that there is silence, there is space, there is time for us to really experience our own hearts, our bodies. And it is in this, in this you might say, dance of coming into ourselves, connecting with others, listening to nature, that we really begin to come home to ourselves and we remember our own truth. So talking alone is never going to do that. I think it's very important that we work with touch, that we work with music, with beauty, with nature, with movement. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today. Interesting work. It's called The book is called The Magic of Circle Work, The Practice Women Around the World Are Using to Heal and Empower Themselves. And, um, you know, a reminder, it was women who <laughs> played an integral part, part in stopping the French Revolution. So um, we, we definitely need to be speaking out there. And um, I know you can find out more about uh, Jalala and her work at magiccirclework.com, magicofcirclework.com, magicofcirclework.com. Jalala Bonheim, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much, Vicky. I appreciate it. And that's it for today. If you have questions or feedback, uh, comments on today's show, you know where you can reach me. Uh, if not, I'll tell you. You can reach me at info at conversationslive.net, info at conversationslive.net. You can also leave a voicemail at 1-800-495-7617, 800-495-7617. And uh, we're on Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And we're also on, I'm on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. So you can find us at any one of those places. And, um, you know, please do feel free always to send in questions about upcoming shows or to share comments about previous shows. We'd love to get your feedback. All right. Until next week, live well, live strong. Hi, this is Vicky St. Clair. If you have a business, service or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Coming up June 4th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. As an award-winning educator, Brendan Kiley wanted to make a difference. He always looked for books to inspire his students, to help them think critically about who they are, what they believe, and how they show up in the world. Now he writes those books as an award-winning New York Times bestselling author. Tune in Mondays at noon Pacific time for the live show or 6 a.m. on Friday and catch up on past shows at conversationslive.net and chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair.